Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing, all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate eBooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum, create beautiful books. Listen to the Mermaid and the Lion podcast, a scripted audio drama about two imperfect people working on perfecting their love for one another. Based on the true story of Angel and Gaza, the story begins before they met and will continue to unfold all of their experiences together. The Mermaid and the Lion is now in season three, the newlywed season, with 20 episodes available on the feed and bonus content through Patreon. The Mermaid and the Lion podcast. We are here with Lisa Reagan, author of the Josie Quinn series, which has at this point in time, 13 books in the series. Uh, I would love to talk to you about writing crime thrillers and writing in particularly a single character for 13 books so far. What is that like in terms of writing a character and having an arc for her over such a long time. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. It's a, a thrill to be here. I'm, I love your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. I think the only way you can do it over that number of books is to have the character kind of grow and change personally and professionally. So that's really what I try to do with Josie. I, I try to throw something new at her every book and see how she reacts and see, does she regress to old negative behaviors? Does she grow and change from this? Does she try to be a better person? And honestly, when I started the series, it was a three book contract. And I just assumed that after those three books, I would be done. I thought that the sales wouldn't be there and I would just be starting something new. So she's really got a pretty complete arc across those first three books. When the, the series became popular, I had to go back and think again about how do I make this character last? She needs to grow and change as a person a little bit in each book. And what about writing her kind of surprisingly for that long? Like you were saying, you started out with a three book series and then have written an additional 10 after that at any point are you kind of scrambling for ways to keep yourself interested not really I mean I did worry about that (laughs) 
she's just so fun to write. Josie and the cast of characters have become like old friends, like family members. And I never get tired of being around them or writing them or throwing new stuff at them. While I've been writing this series, I've been asked to write a short story here or there, you know, to contribute to anthologies or something like that. And I always feel like I'm cheating on Josie. Oh, yes. And it's just the worst feeling. And then I wrote a 5,000 word short story for the anthology for Writers Police Academy last year. And I had to go back through it and weed out all of the Josies that I had dropped in there by accident, even though no one had a J name in the entire story. (laughs) (laughs) So you are habitually writing Josie even when you're not. Yes, yes. It's very hard now to not be writing Josie. It just doesn't, it feels wrong. (laughs) I think that's so interesting. I have never worked with a character for that long in my own books, the longest series that I've ever done, I've done duologies, but I have never written a character over that long period of time. The most interesting as a writer that I've ever experienced was writing a character in the first book who was a teenager. And then 10 years have passed in the second book. She is an adult. And so that was interesting for me as a writer to take that huge leap and imagine what this person would be like 10 years later. So how much time has passed uh, over the course of 13 Josie books? Well, I had to slow it down because when I realized that the series was going to be significantly longer than three books, I I thought I can't get too far ahead of myself. So the book one, I, I think, is loosely based in 2015. And then I had book two take place 18 months later. And then after that, every six months, but I was still moving a little too fast. So now I only have about three or four months elapsing between each book because otherwise, Mm -hmm. I think that six or seven years has probably passed in the series world, but I, I have to try and things slow or else, you know, Josie will be 60 years old and right. I'll, I'll be on book 16 or something. Right. It's interesting. My sister is a English teacher. She teaches in high school. She has weird little peccadillos with odd things. So like, for example, the Outlander series, which I love telling people I was reading those books in the 90s. I was reading them before. So was I? Yes. Like before yeah. the rest- world i read those books yes 1996 i read my first one (laughs) yeah that's that's actually when i read mine too and i was just enamored immediately and i love those books and i pushed them on everyone that i knew and i pushed them on my sister and she read i think the first like two or three and then she was out and i was like why i don't understand she likes things to be believable she likes things to make sense more or less and she's like you know, Claire keeps running into all these important historical figures in the past. And she's like, it's just not believable that she would cross paths with all these famous people. It just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm like, but you're okay with time travel. Like that. <laughs> Whenever in my own books, when I'm writing time, is a consideration. pacing is also a consideration. So for example, in my own books, when I'm writing something that is going on, it's usually taking place over like max three months. I have a book coming out in February where the entire book takes place over two days. And it's intense, like constant or something going on every minute. From my sister's perspective, Josie, she would probably have a heart attack if these things were happening, these 
crazy events were happening to her every three months. But that's the difference between worrying about realism versus what serves the story best. I do a lot of editorial work. And it's something that I work with my clients on and they'll be like, well, yeah, but if we were talking about Josie, for example, they would be like, her life couldn't be that crazy every three months. And I'm like, well, you're talking about reality. You have to take in the concept of pacing and this is fiction. You do have to give yourself some space. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that it just comes down to entertainment you know, readers want to be entertained. And I just don't think it's realistic to have, from an entertainment standpoint, to have this character aged 40 years from book one to 10. I mean, you're aging the character right out of the series. I just think that readers care less about that and more about just being entertained. And also, you know, I've tried to write in the past, like police investigations in my books that go according to what would be an actual timeline, which sometimes these investigations take years. And um, you're always waiting weeks and and months and sometimes years for um, evidence analysis to come back. And, uh, you know, every time the editor will say to me, can't do that. Nobody's going to go for that. So that's a challenge. But, you know, again, the readers want to be entertained. They want to skip the lulls that are in real life. And they want to get right to the meat of things, right to the meat of the story. So I think that's really important to look at your books from this perspective of, is this going to be entertaining or not, regardless of how accurate it is? You know, Karen Slaughter is one of my favorite authors of all time. And I've read her first thriller, Blindsided, at least 20 years ago. If you went by actual time, her main characters should be like, pretty much retired <laughs> by now the, the time periods in the books is just very still very very short and I don't care I never even thought like oh Sarah Linton should be like 50 by now it never even crossed my mind because I just want to read the book and I want to be swept up and I want to be entertained and I love the characters Exactly. That is the primary thought and the primary reasoning for the author. Myself, I had the experience of when I was writing my third book, which is a historical. It is set in a real town in Ohio. And I have a serial killer and I have these uh, group of people attempting to catch a serial killer using 1890s, the very beginnings of criminal profiling, which they did have then, but it was rough. It was coming down to that this killer more than likely was in a particular profession. And because I am a stickler, I was looking at census data from that particular city from the year 1890. And all of a sudden my stomach just bottomed out. My heart almost stopped. This book I had been working on feverishly to hit my deadline. And there were only two people in that particular profession. And oh my I was goodness. like, oh my gosh. So basically it's 50-50 and it would be really easy to figure out who it was. And I was, oh no. I was just like, oh God, oh no. And I was so upset. And I'm like, I have to restructure my whole book. I have to change the killer. I have to change the ML. And I walked downstairs and I was just like visibly upset. My boyfriend at the time was like, wrong, are you okay? And I was like, no. And I explained and he was like, so this is fiction, right? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, 
just make the city bigger and put more people with that profession in it. And I was like, Oh, Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Reality is important, but that entertainment value, like you said, you have to remember that you're writing fiction. Yes. And I find that readers will suspend their disbelief a lot more and for a lot more reasons than writers and editors really worry about. Absolutely. I worked in a school for 14 years and I was recently listening to a book that is set in a school and it's about the staff and drama with the staff. And a lot of the things that were going on as far as interaction with students were just it wouldn't happen that way. Like staff and students were texting each other and things like that. And I was just like, no, like that wouldn't happen. That's not allowed. And I was getting like a little bit upset because I was like, this person has never worked at a school. Like they don't know. (laughs) And then I was like, but as a writer, I'm like, well, they had to do it this way in order for the plot to unfold. The average reader is who you have to keep in mind. And the average reader does not know behind the scenes workings of a school. Oh, sure. And I do this too as a reader. I just take it as face value that this author has done their research or as much research as they're able to do and that the choices that they have made are for plot reasons. Maybe that's because I'm also a writer, but right. that's just the way I see it. Yeah. Some of the best advice I've ever heard is that you don't have to convince the experts, you know, what you're talking about. You have to convince the layman that you know what you're right. talking about. Vellum, it just works. Best-selling indie author Alex Lydell, whose book Enemy Contact, an enemies to lovers romantic suspense, hit number 25 in the Amazon paid Kindle store, has this to say about Vellum. There are always a ton of hangups in the publishing process, from the printer running out of ink at just the wrong moment to Amazon rejecting margins. But Vellum has been one program I can depend on. It formats my manuscripts quickly, professionally, and, most importantly, in a way that never gets rejected by any online retailers. Visit www.trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. That's trivellum.com forward slash pants. Vellum. It just works. Kickstart your Christmas shopping with a virtual visit to the Wild Art Gallery, featuring original Native American art pieces. Many of the artists whose work is for sale have pieces in the permanent collection of museums, including the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian. This season, give the gift of museum-quality art at reasonable prices. Visit www.wild.gallery to shop now. So when it comes to writing thrillers, at this point, you have to be pretty mired in that particular world, I would imagine. (laughs) I was kind of laughing because book 13... It's called The Drowning Girls, and so obviously they're the drowning. I was going to write the autopsy scene, and I realized, oh, I've done this drowning stuff a few times before. I was like, oh, I don't even really have to do new research. I use a lot of medical journals, and I, I talk to people in the field, and I take notes. And so I just had to like go back and refresh 
there were some other things that I hadn't done before besides the drowning. So I did have a medical examiner read those pages for me and tell me, you know, what I could and couldn't say. It's almost like I can slot this stuff in without even doing the research anymore because I've, I've written about certain things so often. And when you first began doing that research back in book one, like what was your approach? How did you start cracking open that world? Had kind of a front row seat to that world in real life years before I started writing crime thrillers because two members of my family had been murdered and we went through, you know, the investigation, the arrest, the years leading up to the trial, the verdict, the sentencing, all of that stuff. That was my unwilling introduction to that world. And then I spent a lot of time in the criminal justice center sitting in the hallway waiting for my turn to testify because they wouldn't let us watch each other testify. That place is just filled with cops and detectives and people coming and going to various other trials. I was able to kind of pick the brains of a lot of different types of people. There was one guy, uh, I actually met him on an elevator. He was part of Philadelphia's special victims unit. And I had a great conversation with him about his work. So that kind of got me comfortable with cold calling police officers or detectives or medical examiners or whoever I needed to talk to to get the answers that I needed for my story. And I, and I have a really good friend who I went to grade school with, actually, who works in a police department that is similar to the size of my fictional police department. And he's really wonderful. He does answer all of my questions at any time of the day or night whenever I message him. So he's been a, a great help as well. So when you first were walking in and introducing yourself, you're not able to drop that. I'm the USA Today bestselling author. <laughs> Your introduction now to someone, I imagine, is a little different than it was when you were first starting out. It is. It is. It's a lot different, actually. Um, I find that like I get a lot more responses now, mm-hmm. whereas I would make 10 phone calls before and send 10 emails. And maybe if I was lucky, one person would get back to me. And now pretty much as soon as I call someone or email someone, even if they can't help me, they'll get right back to me and say, you know, I don't have the answers to these questions. But it is a lot easier now. I've been involved with the Writers Police Academy now for a couple of years. And the gentleman that runs that, Lee Laughlin, is really super wonderful about getting me in touch with anybody I need. So if I'm really at a loss for who to talk to, I can contact him and say, hey, do you know any blood spatter experts or do you know any toxicologists? And those are his connections in law enforcement. So on his recommendation, they're usually pretty happy to answer my questions. So have you ever reached out to someone and been like, hi, I'm Lisa Regan and had them email back and be like, oh my God, I read your books. No, actually. (laughs) And I wonder again, if that is symptomatic of people that are behind the scenes, not being able to read the fiction because it's just too frustrating for them. Yes. I mean, I've had people say, oh, I was a detective for however many years and really love that you got this right. Never everything, but it's always like, oh, you got this one thing right. And then I actually had a lovely woman email me a couple months ago and say, oh my God, you you got this gun positioning horribly wrong. And I was a detective for 20 years. I hate to see this because they only do it in the movies. And wrote her back and I was like, hey, would you 
be willing to be a consultant for me for all future books? Can I hire you and you can read them before they go to print? And she was like, oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. That is lovely. And I do think that weapons are difficult to write if you aren't intimately familiar with them. My boyfriend is a former Marine, and he's like, I just can't even consider weaponry when I watch a movie or a show. It's just wrong. My husband is a former Marine as well. Mm -hmm. And he will stop the show that we're watching in mid-show and be like, they would never use this type of weapon. I always get the gun stuff right because of him, but in this case, it was like the way that the detective was holding the gun mm-hmm. was was at issue, which was something I hadn't given as much thought to because I'm usually so consumed with getting the actual weapons correct. As a writer, I rely on my boyfriend, obviously, whenever there's a weapon involved, because mine does the same thing. He'll stop it and be like, this is why this is wrong. And I actually enjoy that because now I won't make that mistake. Right, right. Absolutely. We were watching something and I don't remember what it was. It was a good show. It was a good movie. But the detective, they were like sweeping a a building. It was dark. And so they had their flashlight and their gun. He was like, well, the way she's holding her hands, the light isn't leading the gun. It's the other way around. The gun's leading the light. So she won't see what she needs to shoot. Unless you are lucky enough to have a former Marine by your side, it is <laughs> it is difficult to to get right. I actually co-author under a pen name with a few of my friends. I was going through something one of my friends had written. Uh, a character had a weapon and she wrote that they cocked the trigger. And I was like, okay, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was like, you're not allowed to write weapons anymore. Leave it blank and write, Mindy, write the weapon. And I'm like, that's what we're going to do from now on. I actually really enjoy co-authoring because I have my strengths and my friends have theirs and we end up having a lot of fun bouncing off of each other. That is really cool. That's kind of on my bucket list would be to co-author with someone because I've never done that. I really enjoy it. I have to say. So I want to talk about, I was looking, for example, at your Amazon reviews. Just looking at the first book, you have over 6,000 reviews. That's crazy. Yeah. It is amazing. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's left reviews. (laughs) Absolutely. That is a blessing because for people that don't know, the way the Amazon algorithm works is that if people are not only buying your book or viewing your book, but leaving reviews is a huge part of visibility and getting recommendations. If you enjoyed this, you would also like those reviews really matter in a really big way. So are you just fortunate enough to have a very interactive fan base that they do this? Or do you have any actions that you take like encouraging people to leave reviews? I wish that I had some kind of tip that I could give other writers, but it's all the fans. I mean, they're fabulous. They're so engaged. It's astounding to me. I have a very, very active Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter. And it's mostly because these fans and readers are there every day. You know, they started to feel like family, the ones that have been with me since my first book. And those people, I'll drop their names in as character names, just as Mm -hmm. a little surprise for them, because every day they show up for me. They're just super, super, super engaged. I say that they're the best fans in the world. And I really, really believe that. 
you've got read through. Like it's very obvious. You even have a spike where your middle books have even more reviews. It wasn't like people just read the first book and got excited and read two or three. No, you've got even 7,000 reviews on your 11th book. (laughs) Yes, it's so strange. And I thought for sure the readership would fall off after Mm -hmm. so many books, because especially nowadays when so many demands are being made on our attention in, in general, entertainment wise, and just with life, I would think it would be harder to keep up with a series. No, they're there for every single book. They're more invested with each book. The readership just keeps growing. Like I said, I wish I had some, you know, magic trick I could tell other writers, but I I really don't. I just have the most awesome fans in the world. That is wonderful. And I think it provides motivation for you as well, because I know when I first started out having a Twitter, having Facebook, that was about all that existed when I first started out. But, you know, you would post something and nobody would respond. Like there <laughs> had five followers and they were all family members, you know. <laughs> yeah. and it's just like really hard to be enthusiastic about social media yourself when you're just yeah. kind of shouting into a void. But I've been fortunate enough to build up a fan base. And so if I post something, I will get a response from someone. Like somebody will like it or, you know, interact with it in some way so that you get a reward yourself for being there and showing up. And I can't imagine what a motivator that must be for you. Oh, it's really amazing. And the, the best part for me is that I'm usually struggling through a book. You know, with every book, I feel like there comes this low point where I'm just like, oh, no, you know, this book is terrible. I'm going to disappoint all of my fans. I I should just give up writing. I wasn't cut out for this. You know, you have this like spiral of insecurity. I'll take a break and I'll, I'll check my notifications. It never fails. There will be some wonderful message or email or tweet or dm from a fan saying oh i just finished book whatever and it it was fabulous and here's what i loved about it and here's what i love about josie if they listen to this they'll know what i'm talking about i will say oh my god thank you for that made my day this is the lift that i needed this is the little push that i needed to get past the lull so it is really a gift and very useful (laughs) it is kind of Amazing how when you are having a down day, you do get those tweets or those DMs or their emails that are like, hey, your book meant a lot to me or this had an impact on me. It is a lovely reminder that this is why you're doing it, actually. It's because you want to reach people and influence people's lives. Absolutely. I think to having a readership like that, like you said, also presents its own intimidation because like you were saying you know you have thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people that are going to be reading this book and you know that you are no longer writing for yourself or for a smaller circle like this is this is going to go out there and be under christmas trees this year and have (laughs) this presence that that has to be intimidating while you're writing 
It's very, very intimidating. And and the biggest thing for me is that these readers have been there for me. They've been there with me on this journey through every word, every up, every down. And the, my biggest fear is disappointing them. I don't mm-hmm. want to disappoint them with a terrible book. And I think too, you end up in a situation where you have these people that care so much and are heavily emotionally invested in your fictional characters. You have to take that into consideration as you are writing them. Oh, definitely. So there's always a a conversation with the editor with every book. How far are we going to go with jeopardizing certain characters? What are the readers going to accept and and what will they find unacceptable? And are we doing this for a good reason to move the series narrative forward or is this just gratuitous? So Mm -hmm. that is something that we always talk about with every book. That makes perfect sense. I have to say that I am rather well known for killing off very much loved (laughs) characters. And um, this is why I don't know that I could ever write a long-term series because I do like taking that gratuitous step. Obviously, it is a, a lovely place to be, so I might have to reconsider some of my approaches. Did kill off a series regular. I was so nervous about it. And I mean, believe me, the readers were very upset. They were like, I'm so upset. I'm crying. But I understand. (laughs) It's like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Your characters can't be protected eternally simply because they are loved. Right. It takes any sort of risk out of the plot. Yes. So if you haven't read any of Lisa's series, it's the Detective Josie Quinn series. The first one, if you need to get started, is called Vanishing Girls. And if you're looking for Christmas ideas for a Lisa fan, a Josie Quinn fan, the 13th book, The Drowning Girls, comes out December 10th. Last thing, why don't you let them know where they can find your books? And if you have a particular indie bookseller that you would like for them to order from, that would be great to note. And then also where listeners can find you online. But if you're looking for a list of retailers, I always tell people just go to my website. It's www.lisareagan.com, L-I-S-A-R-E-G-A-N.com. My favorite indie bookstore is the Town Center Bookstore in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. That's my, my local indie bookstore. Again, if you want to find me on social media, you can start right at my website. And I always tell people, if you're on Facebook, come on over and like my Facebook page. Even if you don't read my books, I give away lots of stuff. And we also give away a lot of books by other authors. Even if you don't read my books, you're going to be over there, you'll get to participate in a lot of fun giveaways, and you'll get to see pictures of my dog, which everybody loves. So (laughs) that's always a bonus. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.